Welcome to Sister Hack. Do you crave candid conversation? And are you curious about how others deal with the details of work, home, family, and everything in between? Well, sisters Hannah and Rachel have conversations about the unspoken dynamics that drive our everyday lives. And we have more in common than you think. So when you listen to Sister Hack, you too can share hacks and laughs that help make this convoluted life a little funnier and a little more clear. So now introducing Hannah and Rachel. Hi, Hackheads. We're back here. Here's Rachel and... Hannah, welcome to Sister Hack. If this is your first time listening to Sister Hack, we are a podcast um, that views everyday life topics through a sisterly lens, which we know is its own unique lens. And Hannah and I are sisters. So that's why we have a that, yeah. to mm-hmm. use a sisterly lens. And the hack. Rachel, Rachel's the younger sister. That's me. Hannah's the older, and I'd like to explain that hack comes from the idea that we offer our hacks or give advice, and um, also it rhymes with sister act, which is cute because we like a a good rhyme and a pun on the show, Mm -hmm. Um, and our guest today, she can offer you a lot of life hacks. She can. She's an engineer, so that comes with automatic authority on many life topics fixing things making a system she's an engineer and a mom that's like a dynamite competition 100 she talks about that a little bit but one thing she did tell me after the episode was that she a slower processor at times and she was thinking of a lot of things that she would want to have said um and a topic that she brought up was the topic of emotional vulnerability, especially when it comes to men in our society and the lack of emotional vulnerability and just that that's something that she wants to instill and teach her boys. Um, And I thought that that would be an interesting thing for you and I to dive into a little bit in our own life. How would you rate yourself on a vulnerability scale and where are places that you feel like you can be vulnerable what's my scale out of is it one to five or one to ten or one you don't even have to use numbers it can be uh it can be closed up door (laughs) (laughs) wide open ocean um I'm not a wide open ocean at all in some contexts I am um no I'm not am I I don't know I like your marriage are you a wide open ocean I like to be vulnerable for the sake of making jokes. My husband, Kyle, says that I'm very like self-deprecating in social situations, like for the sake of a joke, which I totally agree with. Um, but vulnerable, I mean, I'm probably like middle, middle to lower level vulnerable, like mid-low. Like if this is a meat, if this is a burger and vulnerable is well done, I'm medium rare. Okay. What do you think that, like, how do you think that formed in you? Um, um, I think, I think having close, awesome friends and very like safe, vulnerable conversations growing up helps me to be vulnerable. I specifically think of like my youth group growing up. Mm-hmm. Actually, 
was at um, the church of who we interviewed. Right. Yeah. yeah so. We didn't go to a Lutheran youth group, believe it or not. Yeah. Well, we well, did. We went to two. Yeah, we had a youth group at our our home church, our family church, but there was a very active, really large youth group at the um, local Christian Reformed Church, which I loved and was very involved in. And that led to like a small group in high school that was very impactful to me as far as just having vulnerable conversations. But um, and then that translated in college with friends that are I have a couple of friends that are that I would call um well done stakes in regards to vulnerability, <laughs> wide open oceans, and they're pushing me to like ask questions or um, those kind of things. I think that impacts it too. But I think the limited vulnerability is just by, I, I think in part having brothers, I think, yeah. you know, it's not as common of like familial conversations, like, right. You don't want to be like, see, I targeted as the emotional and you already had that target on your back of being like, the the daughter who demands more or something like that yes so, so that would have been another label that you maybe protected yourself from dealing with I think I think though that I think that dad is very good at having like conversations about feelings with yeah I would agree with that I think he probably not as um common for a father yep what about I, you? What's your scale? I think I am becoming more and more emotionally vulnerable. And it's very, it's very refreshing because of having kind of this like opening up or transparency of like these, those are the things that overwhelm. Like we've talked about on this show before, but when I feel overwhelmed or like get a breaking point. And I, I think what I've realized about myself, especially this summer, is I need to unload that before it gets to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and that comes out in the form of like being self-aware of when things are bothering me, what those things are, and just giving the burden of holding it in um, to someone mm-hmm. else. <laughs> yeah, your idea of vulnerability is like, I would define it as like, handling a lot well yeah or just I just think um that I have this persona of being yeah exactly being able to do a lot and people know me for that and so I kind of like often feel like I have to keep that up and then just being able to be like I actually cannot do it all (laughs) Mm -hmm. and here are some areas that I need help in um it's refreshing and I think like it's it shows that I'm vulnerable in that like I'm not some kind of superwoman person so why do you think vulnerability is healthy well I think it's especially healthy in um the male uh population because a lot of times um pent up emotions come out in unhealthy ways Mm -hmm. Um, and if our, if we see like little boys being told boys don't cry, well, that's got to get out somehow. And so it could come out in the form of violence, or it could come out in the form of drawing in even more to like a depression or an anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, And so by uh, giving safe spaces for all kids to um, be emotional, 
to um, talk about, identify their feelings, I think. It's like, mm -hmm. be very specific with what it is that you're feeling. And then you start to own that. So it's like, we have these categories of angry and sad and happy. And that's, those are pretty much like, you know, what you'd say the big three, but giving kids like the tools or the vocab to identify some of their, their like less um, said emotions, you know, even envy or I'm feeling frustrated or I'm feeling annoyed or I'm feeling, you know, whatever it is. And not only pointing out to them, like, um, what they're saying, but also like what parts of their body feel that mm -hmm. too. Um, mm -hmm. It's so important to be able to tell when you're stressed because your shoulders hurt or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And then you can actually find ways of coping with that. I will say, I don't know quite know how to phrase this, I guess, but I, there've been a couple people that, um, I've experienced like in the professional world that have set a difficult precedent for females too, though, for being overly emotional, you know, like um, extreme reactions to things that, especially when women are outnumbered as being a woman among men, then it's like, oh, great. And then they're the emotional one. So I don't know how exactly to phrase that, but I do think it, there aren't necessary, there are contexts where it is so important to remain professional and not be extreme on the vulnerability level. I think so. I think it's like, I think that it's okay to cry. I think that even like at, in a professional like setting. Offend, like being offended. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, that could be like pent up too, aggression. Yeah. <laughs> From not being able to deal with it beforehand. Right. Right. When it's conscious. Like, I think we have to battle that though, especially yeah. as like women in the workforce to not have the emotional reaction just because, you know, I guess I'm, I guess I'm not exactly sure how to phrase it. I think you're saying that like, um, that some people have given us a bad rap. <laughs> yeah, and it for could sure. be possible from like what I would identify as like repression of vulnerability mm -hmm. until a certain point where then then it comes out in a in an unprofessional way for sure and then in two when you are working with men who aren't used to expressing emotion then it's twofold even more like overwhelming for them to right um, react to or work with but anyway it's all super interesting yeah, I heard some, I can't remember where I heard it recently, but it was like a CEO. And this is what me and Kate, she's been on the podcast before say, you know, we're, we, she cries when she's overwhelmed too, but like just saying, I'm crying, right? Just listen, everybody. I'm crying right now because I'm very angry or, but yeah. how healthy is that to be able to identify and to express like why you're crying? Yeah. It's, I think sure, that's so true. How do I show my vulnerability? Do you think? I think you show your, you, you are, um, medium rare, <laughs> medium rare. I close off humor. I think. I think especially in humor, um, you're able to be transparent when we talk to each other. Um, I think there's not really a topic that's off limits necessarily. So mm -hmm. 
I feel like you're approachable. People are obviously drawn to you. Like you're talking about your friends, your college friends. I'm going to lunch with one of them on Friday, by the way. I'll tell you. What? Off air. Off air. Off air. And like people are drawn to you just to um, express emotions. So that obviously is a, is a testament to your ability to engage in vulnerable conversation. Mm, thank you. You're kind. Oh. I think the same is true for you. Um, anything else before we introduce our guests and get digging a little deeper to specifically what was the title you had for the interview? Yes. Um, today we are Raising Boys and Lifting Women. Nice. Here we go. Welcome, everybody. We are here with Reva Johnson, Dr. Reva Johnson, might I add. But I know her as uh, my good friend. And Rachel kind of knows her. I know her as your good friend. <laughs> but I know her. Say hi. I come to you as a good friend, everyone. too, Rachel. Hi. <laughs> Reva is nervous for this, but I don't know why she should be because she uh, has a lot of credentials behind her name. So it's like, it's not like she's never been, you know, on the big stage before. Don't tell them I'm nervous. Oh, sorry. I do understand Sister Hack is like, you know, you know, you've made it when you're on Sister Hack. It's a big so. deal. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to start out by giving a few lists of accomplishments that I know about you professionally and then um, if there's anything that I've missed just please feel free to to fill in the gaps because we're not about humility here we're about <laughs> braggadocious um, boosting it up yeah braggadocious so um, Reva is full-time faculty a tenured professor at Valparaiso University and she works in um, the engineering program um, well, along with like also being a professor, she is also an engineer and um, she used to work more in the clinical setting, like in the hospital setting, um, doing prosthetics. And um, I think one of the, the coolest pieces of her work is that she's working toward um, kids who don't have, who have limited movement, being able to move again and get around again. Um, is that like pretty summative of, of things, the way things go, Reva? Yeah, I think maybe yeah, just broadly speaking, I work on a lot of human machine interfaces and most of the focuses of those systems are improving mobility and movement and learning about human movement. So yeah. And I did have the chance to come to her lab once and they were, there was like this cool thing that we could do. I can't exactly remember the specifics around it. Go figure. (laughs) I think it was a haptic robot, right? Yeah. Where the robot would push back against you and interact with you. Yes, that's what it was. And it was like, it was just so impressive. So um, we're going to talk a little bit about um, STEM today, science, technology, engineering, mathematics. For those of you who don't know, I had to double check the acronym. (laughs) Oh yeah, I was was about to be real impressed. I do say STEM a lot, but I don't like think of the word, what the word is. Did they add art to STEM? Is it STEAM? So yes, I think I mean, that's what we want to focus on is STEAM, but I think STEM is still its own category too. Like that, and what we're going to talk about today is a lot of the underrepresentation of women in STEM. And um, I'm sure that there's some arts that that expands into too, but just for the narrow focus of today's podcast. Just advocating for the arts over here. <laughs> I can dig that. I'm just kidding. Well, Reva is also a poet. Did you know what? that, Rachel? 
I yes. love that. Let's not go too far with that, Hannah. Okay, so please read all your poems now. <laughs> okay, sure. you have a diary as well? That you <laughs> May you open to Would you diary? like to read it? <laughs> she does send me her poetry. It's beautiful. And one of the cool things that I should maybe tap into sometime about being faculty is that you're able to take classes in other disciplines. And so oh, that's awesome. you're kind of spurred on by a creative writing class that you took, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's cool. You can do that as a faculty. I did it. I think you yeah. can. I mean, I just asked, I can it. I sit in on your class or yeah. Yeah. Hannah, what class would you sit in on if you could pick? Oh my gosh. College algebra. <laughs> <laughs> mm. What do I need? Like where are my gaps? No, I would, unlike Reva, I would probably, I wouldn't stick with my discipline education, but I would go back to my content areas, like either Spanish or English. Mm. and try to you know freshen up, Fresh freshen up. up mm -hmm. what about you chach pottery, pottery. <clears throat> i did take <clears throat> uh oh frog <laughs> take pottery in college i was mediocre i would yeah i i do miss remembering how to do math is there anything in college like basic um science <laughs> you know like volume yes. mass those things I don't remember anything. physics yeah physics one physics something like that I'm sure but like a science for fun class or like Ooh. a real life math class I don't know oh yeah we had a one in college called I think it was called the science of everyday things and I loved oh. that <laughs> I love that name that sounds fun oh yeah that it, it always filled up really fast so you had to be you had to, like, yeah, you had to be on there. the computer ready to sign up I'm like, oh, I got, I already got those uh, credits accounted for because I took the science of everyday things. And people were like, <laughs> got it. Um, sis, tell us about the quote that you found when you were looking. Yes. All right. We're going to jump into it today. So already alluded to was the gap or underrepresentation of women in STEM. And I was doing a little bit of research on like, well, what, how, how big is this gap actually? And I found a really interesting just kind of, um, the root of the cause quote. And so I'm gonna read it and let that frame our conversation. This gap begins in education fueled by gender stereotypes and expectations regarding quote, women's work. Despite similar achievement scores among children of all genders in math and science, men are the overwhelming majority of students studying STEM fields in higher education. The few women who began careers in STEM faced male dominated workplaces with high rates of discrimination. Their contributions are often ignored. They experience isolation caused by lack of access to women peers, role models, and mentors. And they are paid less than their male coworkers. Women leave STEM careers at disproportionately higher rates than men, particularly among those who are working parents. <clears throat> Systems of bias that push women and people of color out of STEM careers can also influence products and services created by STEM organizations such as artificial intelligence. And I stopped it there, but there was a lot more to it. And um, I thought it was really sobering, you know, because you hear about a lot of progress in some of these areas, but to see that that's like still the outcome, it shows that we have a long road to go. So I'm happy that we have the expert here today. Someone mm -hmm. has maybe um, felt these, so the, what I talked about at a visceral level. And we're going to start you out, Reva, with the hack yeses and hack no's of being a femme in STEM. Heck yes! 
So I know you, I, I know you've listened to a couple times before, but you can feel free to either elaborate on these or you can um, just say heck yes or heck no and we can move on. Okay. Chachi, you take it away. I've been talking about it. All right, a lot. cool. Okay, so heck yes or heck no. You knew from a young age that you wanted to be an engineer. Heck no. I think that didn't come till end of high school and I had a physics teacher and she was really cool. Oh, I love that. Notice she. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yep. cool. Hack yes or hack no. The social and educational structures that you grew up with supported your career choice. Hack mostly. Can I say that? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, my dad was an engineer and I always thought I could probably do that. Um, but yeah, hack mostly. Hack, hack for the most part. Yep. Um, hack yes or hack no. As a professor of engineering, female students and other minoritized populations gravitate toward your counsel and mentoring. Hack yes, for better or for worse. I know, Hannah, we've <laughs> talked about this, but yeah, hack yes. So I put it in there. She said that's why I put it in there. <laughs> But I think it's so interesting, right? Because it's not only women, it's people who are minoritized in general. I use that term minoritized because that's, it's like the action is being put toward them, that they are yeah. in the minority because the majority minoritizes them. So we're talking, you know, all of like people of color, we're talking about LGBTQ, um, who look to you as someone who's just different than the mold of white male, and then therefore seek your counsel in that. Yeah, not that I have particularly wise things to say, but yeah, I feel like there's there's limited role models in engineering for sure. So, yeah. Okay, off that, hack yes or hack no, you often feel like you have to be the voice for women in your workplace. Yeah, hack yes. <laughs> Major hack. <laughs> yes. Okay, our final one here, Reba. Hack yes or hack no, there are particular places in your educational pathway where you saw other women change career paths. That's a good question. I would maybe say hack no. I feel like it happens pretty consistently at all points. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I don't know. Hack pretty consistently. Yeah. Hack pretty consistently. Can I make up my own categories? All right. Awesome. So now we're going to dig a little bit deeper with some um, questions that we want you to talk about and elaborate on. As demonstrated by our hack yeses and hack no's conversation, you often have to push back against a male majority way of thinking. How does this influence your parenting of two young impressionable boys? That's why I forgot to say that in your introduction that you're the mom to two sweetie pies. They are the sweetest. You guys have good questions. Um, yeah, I guess I think a lot about awareness and that awareness needs to come first in all of this, both, Mm -hmm. I mean, awareness of gender dynamics and assumptions and that it doesn't have to be that way. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot to be said about racial and socioeconomic dynamics too, of course. Um, but I guess I think we can teach kids to be more aware or we can try to teach kids to be more, more aware and to question social patterns. And then on the flip side, like we as the grownups need to be aware of the messages that we're sending kids even unintentionally. So, yeah. 
Are there any particular instances that come to mind for you where you emphasize or de-emphasize like gender stereotypes with your boys? I think I try to just like, I'm hypersensitive of, you know, when it's the, when the default is male or when you're only Mm -hmm. seeing male options. And so I try to just kind of ask questions and be like a little bit annoying so that they start to notice things too. Like maybe a silly example is, um, you know, the show Paw Patrol. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So lots of kids love Paw Patrol, right? And Jed is almost six. And so he loves Paw Patrol and there's like five boy dogs and one girl dog, right? Mm-hmm. Angel, was right? No, no. There, there's, uh, wait, isn't there two? Sky yeah. and uh, one is like, Ev- wait, who's that white one? I don't know. Everest. Legendary. Everest. Yeah. But when it started, there was only Sky. And then I'm fairly sure people complained or like, why are there no more girls? And then Everest came on the scene. So she was a late addition. Ava was Everest for Halloween. That's how Hannah knows. (laughs) Yeah, but that's a great example of girls looking at if she didn't have an option. She would not have picked the boy pop. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So just even asking questions like, okay, Jed, what do you think about that? There's five boy dogs and one girl dog. Mm -hmm. The boy dog is always in charge. And of course he, like, when you say it that way, then he'll think, oh, that doesn't seem very fair. And then hopefully he starts to notice things and he has started to notice things. Like he'll come home and say, oh, this, you know, my friend said that girls can't play with robots. And I know that's not true. And I'm like, yes, Jed, you know, that's not true because I've shown you my robots. And so I think maybe just teaching them to question things the way that things are and if they are fair because you can go through most of life just thinking that it's normal for boys to be in charge, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah. I've, yeah, I, it is really interesting how quickly certain things are written off as boy things or girl things, which I think then manifests later in life into yeah. the categories get bigger and bigger. And these we have these mental walls and roadblocks to what we can do and what we can't do. And um, yeah, we, Reva and I recently talked about just how lit, like limited, we, we limit ourselves mm-hmm. by putting things into categories mm-hmm. and sure. we could see that in like this profession in general. I think I didn't have it in this quote, but it said only 27% of people with STEM professions are female. So, you know, that the, the quote indicated that like, that has nothing to do with their, their ability or science and math scores at a young age so you have to think that it has to be like a societal pressure one way or the other yeah well even just the things that we praise kids for like thinking about when do we say good job to boys when do we say good job to girls and like what words do we use and are they different between boys and girls and like I try to think about the things that I'm saying too if I had daughters for example would I be saying things differently would I be praising Mm -hmm. them for different things and and why Mm-hmm. Or like, what books am I getting my boys? And do they have girls as main characters in these books? Mm-hmm. Hannah, do you observe that? Have, being a- yeah, well, Reva and I talked about the difference between uh, having an oldest as your boy and having an oldest as your girl, because mm-hmm. they kind of set the tone. Um, and so like my boys are more likely to do uh, things that are typically girl things, right? Like the playing with the dolls and stuff like that, because they're following her. Um, whereas it's really hard, like Reva has to be really intentional to do what you would call it like countercultural um, 
girl activities, like playing with dolls and introducing mm -hmm. those kinds of toys. Whereas I kind of more struggle with Ava with some of the things like, like a sports influence. She doesn't really have that, um, you know, other than her parents getting up at four and running. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's she a pretty big a good, influence. She loves a good run. Right, like we, she doesn't really feel the, that the need to like observe basketball, things like that. And, and I, we're going to get to this later, but um, a lot of that has to do, I think, with the lack of female sports access. Like they don't, they're not on TV a lot. Right. And yeah. it's really mm -hmm. difficult to expose Ava to um, professional women's sports. Yeah. I really wanted her to watch a lot of the Olympics, but they were on pretty late and like, we don't do, you know, a ton of screen time and she'd rather watch her dumb movie for 30 minutes instead of the <laughs> Olympics. So that, that was hard for me because I know that had a really big impact on like my sport focus or my mentality trap. Mm -hmm. What yeah, do you I, do with your boys or Reba? What were you no, say? I totally agree. I feel like I have this mental goal of showing my boys a good 50 50 split of women's sports and men's sports and maybe mm -hmm. I should even overcompensate and show them more women's sports but where do you find women's sports to watch on tv I mean it's impossible without paying a whole lot for cable and um I just saw this really cool thing this project on media coverage of women's and men's sports it was by a runner I think Molly Huddle and they did some project where they had newspapers like the New York Times from every day for a month and they cut out the coverage of men and they left in the coverage of women. And you saw just blank newspapers. It was just like empty holes in almost the whole newspaper because the coverage of men and women was a 96 and four split, like something crazy. Uh, um, so yeah, it's just, yeah, it's really hard about to- All that, yeah, that like implicit, well, it's both implicit and explicit messaging. And it just fights against the notion that, well, guys sports are just more exciting mm -hmm. because that would be the argument back like well people don't like to watch women's sports because they're they're not as exciting or they're not as athletic or whatever it is and it's like we don't see how do you know yeah I know. <laughs> you don't see that <laughs> and you've picked your team since you were young and you followed your teams through like their good seasons and bad seasons because of like this whole culture that's built up around it mm -hmm. um and I just, I just don't agree with that argument that that is mm -hmm. the reason why, you know, women's sports are not. And something strikes me too, because, you know, there are a couple of, um, a couple of probably like female coach icons, but that's also another reason why when you don't have mentors or leaders or female coaches that people are aware of, that takes away from some of like the desirability to follow along too, because there's where well, they're not lifted up in the same way as like the stars and icons of male, you know, male athletics and sports. Because I, if I think about female coaches, I think I don't, I don't even know her name. Pat, what's that lady from Tennessee? Yeah, from the yeah, she was really good. Pat Vic. I know. But then, like, <laughs> I couldn't I even. Guess, she works at my university. Oh. She does. Pat Vic. She said oh. the wrong name. <laughs> I said Vic. That's not her last oh. name. Pat something. I could not name you one other female coach. I know. I know. Yeah, I think and it's been so fun to see the women's, like the national women's soccer team, yeah. because they have really gotten more into the totally, you know, the public popularity and and you know what? They even have women's soccer cards now. So Jed likes baseball cards. 
And it's so fun that they now have women's soccer cards. So he's got this yes. book that's full of not just men on baseball cards, but you know, like Abby Wambach and yes. Megan Rapino and like all these superstars that are really fun for him to look up to now too. And those ladies have had to fight for it mm-hmm. like so hard. And they're so much better than our men's team on a global <laughs> level. You know what I mean? Like they yeah. really are. Um, and so you can't, I, you can't discredit the amount of work like they've gone through courts to get close right. to equal pay. Right. Uh, that they've put in just to even become semi-popular. But I agree that that whole team is like such a great example for mm-hmm. young girls and boys, right? Mm-hmm. That's what we need to change the dialogue, boys and girls. Reva, just by enacting your daily life in your profession, you're modeling possibilities for women and your boys and young girls. So talk about the most rewarding parts of your job. I think I like a lot of the connections that I can make with people. A lot of times that's students, because that's my focus much of the time. Um, But also my colleagues and people that I collaborate with outside of my university too. I think it's really fun to learn people's stories and what motivates them. And and then for students, especially to, to sort of be with them as they're accomplishing some of their goals. I think that's really, really rewarding just to get to know people and what makes them excited about things and um, just to kind of discover things with them. It's really fun. Mm-hmm. Have you had students get into your line of research with prosthetics? Like, it is, is that fun when you see them kind of taking up that same path? That it is really fun. I just was at a conference, a virtual conference, and two of my former students are now PhD students. And so they were also presenting at this conference. And it was just so fun to see them at the conference. And then um, one of my old grad school friends also met them and like everybody was meeting each other. And later on, she said something like, wow, you must be a good mentor to have so many students from a small school go to grad school. And I thought that was like the most rewarding thing I'd heard Uh, all year. So that was really fun. That is fun. Okay. Our final section for today is where you offer advice for the audience. and we call it, there's a hack for that. So any like solutions or thoughts? We already talked a little bit about my first one, which was making women's sports a thing when they're so undervalued in our culture. Is there any other, um, other than like really working, having that 50-50 um, idea in your head? Like, is there any other advice that you would give? Yeah, I do think putting them around people who speak favorably about women's sports and athletic women. I mean, in some ways, maybe I go overboard on the sports because we just play sports outside all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at least they see me playing sports and playing soccer with them and playing baseball or whatever. So maybe just putting them around people that athletic women, putting them around women who support uh, men and women who support women's sports. Um, and just really, I think in the language and the way that we talk about things, the way that we talk about boys and girls, and I think that the words that you use and the way you talk about things makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. That's I why know. you're a poet. She, she, she's that word <laughs> choice girl. She's the what? That word choice girl, since she's a poet. I mean, yeah, words are powerful, poet. right? So many times our words are just default male. Like you assume everything is boys. Mm-hmm. Did you play soccer in college too, Reva? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, love that. We've had Kate on the podcast. Are you a record holder? 
I think CSD1. I was... Oh, where did you where did you go then? Did you go to Valpo? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Awesome. No, I think I had a weird record, something like most red cards, no yellow cards, most yellow cards in NCAA tournament games or something. Yes, love that. Right? Oh, like, not the greatest record. Such a um gentle spirit. <laughs> well, that, does that go against that. what we're talking about? <laughs> to no. me, maybe not on the field. I haven't seen you play. Yeah. I'm trying to remember back, did we overlap in youth group? Because some of the must have physical. The couch races were very physical. Yeah. Um, well, so going off of kind of just conversations and the words you use, like you said, what's your hack for dispelling counterproductive or isolating conversations that you might hear um, your students having? Oh, that's tough. I think sometimes saying something like, what did you mean by that? Mm-hmm. And just sort of mm. asking a little bit further. Um, I think sometimes people say things and mean them as sort of a code and they think everybody's just going to agree with them. And so just saying, what do you mean by that? I think sometimes is a good way to make everyone think a little bit more. Mm. Um, Love. Yeah. Good question. That's what I got. I like that idea of like questioning them further. I mean, that's just a a professor in general, right? As someone who never necessarily answers the question, but brings the students to the correct answer through a series of questions. So yeah. Yeah. And I think maybe I'm trying, this is hard for me, but I'm trying to talk more about things that I feel insecure about and just being more open and vulnerable, I think helps to model that for students. And then I think a lot of times people say mean stereotypical things when they're feeling insecure themselves. So I don't know, just trying to model being vulnerable. It sounds a little bit hand wavy, but that's why I'm trying. That's awesome. Okay. Last one hack. There's a, give us a hack for creating boundaries for yourself. So you do not always have to represent half of the population in any given conversation. Okay. Well, I need a hack for that. So if you know of one, <laughs> um, I think like some of the, it really helps to have guys around me that help with this, to be honest. Yeah. I think that um, like there was one guy in particular in my department who like at first I was the only woman in all these conversations and it did feel like they would just all look to me when, you know, anything about diversity or inclusion came up. Um, and so I had a conversation with this guy and said, like, like, can they look to you instead? Like, can you take this sometimes? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he's older, he's more experienced. He did, he knew what he was talking about and he's done that. And so just having someone in the room that like has become the default instead of me, at least a lot of the times has been really helpful. That's a really good idea. I think like we talk about in our classes, you know, if you have a, if you have like a single student of color in your class, like they are not the representative for their um, race or or somebody who represents different ethnicity, like they, they don't speak on behalf of them. So Mm -hmm. that's something that um, I think I don't deal with a lot because there's a lot of females in my profession, but I can imagine that like you would, even when it comes to things like having babies, and how you have to like advocate for yourself or like maternity leave and all of those different pieces would be much more difficult in a situation where you're surrounded by males. 
Yeah. Mm. Mad props. <laughs> <laughs> so Rachel, did you come up with any hashtags? This is I do. Have like a, I have a couple. Podcast. I have a couple too. Okay, so here we like to hashtag hashtag you out, Reva, based off what you share with us and give you some hashtags, um, you know, mainly as jokes. Nice. <laughs> but <laughs> you said nice. Um, this hashtag is when, you, when you're challenging conversations with questions. It's a two-part hashtag, hashtag not being mean, hashtag, but how do you mean? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> not being mean but how do you mean okay this you know I love to combine the words so this one is a combination of um, our topic today and the fact that you're a mentor hashtag stemter oh that's good <laughs> yeah yep, I like it I have a combined word today too how you um represent a lot of um just kind of minority areas in your field of study and that hashtag is hashtag representative. Mm, representative. Oh, yeah, representative. Yeah. Ah, that one didn't land. That's okay. I had, I had to think for a second, but I like it now. <laughs> I hope you include these all in your poems. Um, this one's a message to Paw Patrol. Hashtag unleash the ladies. Yes. <laughs> we got to write some letters to Paw Patrol. Put Everest in charge. The ladies. <laughs> Thank you so much, Reva, for coming on. You did such a great job and Rachel and I we need to brush up in our STEM <laughs> in our STEM well, you know yeah. what it's done for so that's, that's science something. technology engineering math yeah yeah okay don't forget the arts and steam. <laughs> and don't forget the arts steam STEM and steam yes thanks Reva this was fun guys I think you are so clever and it's so fun that you're having these conversations so it was fun chatting with you guys let's chat more yeah you could be a recurring guest so far only my mom has done that oh that's a high bar you could leave you could lead our steam segment oh yeah, yeah. we'll just have a, a poetry battle okay <laughs> Hannah keeps trying to bring in the poetry see I think She's... Hannah would be good at poetry too all these little poems sometimes she I did I did for yeah. Zach on Father's Day Oh yeah. I thought that that was from Pinterest when you sent me a picture. I know that really, really pumped my tires. Okay. Well, we'll have a poetry episode then. Okay. I love it. Thanks for listening to Sister Hack. For podcast news and updates and some awesome pictures, be sure to follow Hannah and Rachel on Instagram by following at Sister Hack Podcast.